You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. What a privilege and an honor it is for me to stand here right now. And God is with us. We believe that. And he will continue to show us his glory and his power as we continue. Amen? Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 25 to 35. And the title of today's message is this, We Will See Salvation. And this message in many ways comes as an expression of faith. It's the expression of our hearts today that we believe that we will see salvation. And as this message progresses, my prayer is that the faith that's in my heart will continue to increase and the faith in our hearts will continue to increase for what only God can do in our midst, in our church, in our families, with our friends, in our workplaces, in our schools. We must be believing that we will see salvation And so as we look to Acts chapter 8, 25 to 35, I want to give you a bit of the context. In Acts chapter 8, we understand that a great persecution has broken out against the early church. And Saul is ravaging Christians and he's persecuting Christians. And you remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he gave the commission to the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations just before he ascended to heaven. The uh, record in Acts tells us that Jesus said this to his disciples in Acts 1.8. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the far-reaching parts of the earth. And it's only until Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that we begin to see what Jesus desired and intended to begin to happen. You see, the church explodes in Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and they're filled with the Spirit, and they're preaching the Word of God with boldness, and 3,000 people are saved, and 5,000 people are saved, and commentators tell us the church in Jerusalem was probably close to 20,000 people, but the problem was they didn't leave Jerusalem yet. They remained in Jerusalem, and while there was opposition intensifying, it wasn't until Acts chapter 8 that the church is in fact scattered to Judea and Samaria and far-reaching parts beyond Jerusalem. And what prompts the scattering is this intense persecution. It's Saul giving approval to the execution of Stephen. And Stephen, a servant of the Lord, is stoned to death and murdered. And as a result of that persecution and that martyrdom of Stephen, the church of Jesus Christ is in fact scattered and God continues to accomplish his sovereign purpose of redemption, not just for Jerusalem, but beyond to the far-reaching parts of the world. And this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 8. The church is scattered, and we're going to read about a guy named Philip today, as he's one of the faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been scattered as a result of the great persecution that has taken place. So Acts chapter 8, 25 to 35 says this. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Verse 32 says, now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Verse 34 says this, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I asked, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Verse 35 says this, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And of course, as we continue to read, we find that this Ethiopian eunuch comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and is baptized. This is the kind of salvation that we see happening all throughout the book of Acts in the face of extreme opposition and persecution and difficulty and difficult circumstances. The purposes of God cannot be stopped. And I want to tell you today, we must believe with all our hearts this is the kind of salvation that God wants to bring to our church. This is the kind of salvation that God wants to bring to our cities and our provinces and our nations and the whole world. This is the salvation that God can bring and God desires to bring. And we say with faith, this season particularly, this Christmas season, we will see salvation. So I want you to write this down. We're going to start here. We will see salvation. Write this down in your notes. We must, we must choose obedience We will see salvation. That's the expression of our hearts, an expression of faith. We must choose obedience. Obedience to what, you may ask? Obedience to who? Obedience, why? Well, obedience to the commands of Scripture, the answer. Obedience specifically to the Great Commission. Obedience to the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of the Lord. Remember the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, And of the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 26 and 27 again. It says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. That's important. We're going to get to that. Verse 27 says, and he rose and went. And what we're seeing here is very simply this. God is speaking to Philip and Philip is Stepping out in obedience. God is directing Philip, and Philip is following the direction of God. The Spirit of the Lord is leading and ushering Philip towards a specific path, and Philip is walking in obedience. He is choosing obedience without hesitation, without reservation. Philip is obeying when God is speaking. And this is so fundamental for us, church, and loved ones. Because obedience to Jesus Christ is never a matter of obligation or duty. 
Obedience to Jesus Christ and the commands of Jesus Christ is always about love and worship. We obey him because we love him. We obey him because it's an act of worship. And obedience is a launching pad towards the blessing and the favor and the fruitfulness and the power of God released in our lives and in our church. Obedience is not about going through the motions. Obedience is not about saying the right things and doing the right things. Obedience is about a heart that understands Jesus loves me. He died for me. And because he loves me, I can love him in return. And I understand the grace of Jesus Christ. And I understand this so much so it grips my heart in such a way that it compels me to choose obedience. Here we find Philip choosing obedience. So who are the people God chooses to accomplish his sovereign purposes through? Who are these people? Well, they're people who choose obedience. And specifically, write this down. God uses people who choose obedience. Write this down. Even when it seems strange. Even when it seems strange. Notice verse 25. It says, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. We have to understand that God is at work in spite of the intense persecution. People are being saved in the midst of the great persecution. Uh, the church is being scattered and more and more people are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that many in the villages of the Samaritans now are being saved. There's a good work happening here. The revival is spreading. God is doing a great thing And here in this moment, God tells Philip essentially to leave all the fruitful ministry, to leave the people that he's been traveling with and been scattered with, and to go where? To go to a desert road. He doesn't give him any other instructions. He doesn't give him any other specifics. He doesn't tell him what he's going to find there. As far as Philip's concerned, he's going to a desert road, and it's simply that. It's a desert, desolate, dirt road. Why? Why is God asking him to leave all the fruitful work that's happening? Why is he asking him to leave the the fellowship of the believers and go to this desolate road? Why? The answer is because God sees something that Philip doesn't see. That's the answer. God knows something that Philip doesn't know. And what God is asking Philip to do right now seems very strange to the heart and mind of Philip. Why? Why do you want me to go to this desolate, deserted road? There's a lot happening here in the villages of the Samaritans. Maybe I should stay here. Maybe it's better that I disciple the people here. Maybe it's better that I stay with my friends. I mean, we need each other. Why go to this desolate, desert place? Well, God has told him to because God sees something Philip doesn't see. And God knows something that Philip doesn't know and he's about to find out and his obedience is about to be the pathway towards finding out the great purpose God has for him. So we need to understand that we're often in this situation in our lives. We are. More than we even realize it, more than we are aware of it, we are often in this situation more than we think. You maybe have many family members that flat out reject Christ and you think to yourself, well, to continue to share the message, I mean, I feel prompted, but to continue to share the message, I mean, that's just an odd thing to do. That's just going to intensify hostility towards me and you feel hesitant to obey the leading of the Lord. 
Maybe you've landed a great job and everything you've always dreamed of and lately you've felt an increasing burden towards the mission field and you think to yourself, could it be? All things are falling into place now. I mean, I've landed this great job, but there's a burden on your heart maybe to head to the mission field and you're thinking, that's strange. Really, is God calling me to do that? I mean, everything's coming together right now. It just seems like everything's flowing. Maybe God has blessed you financially and you've been challenged to give more sacrificially than ever before and you think to yourself, I mean, that would mean that I need to sacrifice some things that I've worked really hard to build for my family. That would mean that maybe I need to downsize a little bit. That doesn't make much sense at this stage in my life to downsize. Well, maybe God is placing a burden on your heart to support the work of the ministry financially in such a way that he's nudging you. He's saying, downsize, do something, do something radical, do something dramatic. See, we're often, we're often in a situation where the thing God is calling us to do, it, it may seem strange to us, but if we're going to see salvation in these days, I believe so firmly what we're seeing here in the text is that God calls for us to have a heart that's so in tune with his spirit that we could recognize that although his leading may be strange at times, although what he calls me to do may not make full, perfect sense to me in the moment, that I can know with confidence if I choose obedience, even when it seems strange, there will be a, a beautiful fruitfulness on the other side. Something perhaps that I can't even conceive of or understand or imagine. And so the question I have for each one of us today is this. What is the strange obedience that God is calling you to? Can you think of a, 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 a prompting you've had in your heart? Or you've been reading a passage of scripture. You've been understanding the urgency of the Great Commission in these days more than ever. And you're, you're beginning to feel that the Lord wants to use you. What is your strange obedience that God is calling you to and saying, you don't see the full picture, but I see it. If you would step out and obey, you'll begin to see great things. See, God uses people who choose obedience even when it seems strange but secondly, you can write this down. God uses to choose people. Uh, God uses uh, people who choose obedience. Write this down, even when it's undesirable. Uh, God uses people who choose obedience, even when it's undesirable. Notice verse twenty-six to twenty-seven says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, "Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza." And here it is. This is a desert place. Verse 27 says, and he rose and went. And we need to notice that Luke is choosing to underscore that this was a desert road. Other translations say a desert place. It highlights the strangeness of the command. And we need to understand that not only is this command strange to Philip, it is probably undesirable for Philip. And we need to be honest with ourselves, loved ones. There are just some places that we don't want to go. There are just some things that we don't want to do. And God calls us to be obedient to him in areas that seem so undesirable to us because look, if we're honest with ourselves, there are some things we just, we just don't want to do that. I'll do this, but I don't want to do that. I'll go there, but I don't want to go there. Obedience is often undesirable. It wasn't desirable for Jim and Elizabeth Elliot to leave everything they knew to move to the jungles of Ecuador. It wasn't desirable for Elizabeth Elliot to continue there even after her husband Jim was brutally speared to death by the very people they were serving. The famous journal entry penned by Jim Elliot reads this. He is no fool 
who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Undesirable obedience. It wasn't desirable for Hudson Taylor to leave everything he knew to give up his entire life for the people of China. The following was written about Taylor's life, says this. Hudson Taylor's call to take the gospel to a foreign land was a call to suffer. And this man suffered very deeply, eventually burying his wife and four children on the mission field. But the Holy Spirit also prepared him by granting him a great love for the Chinese people, by giving him great confidence in the gospel, and by granting him continued awakening and reawakening undesirable obedience. It wasn't always desirable for C.H. Spurgeon to stand up in front of 10,000 people every single day when he was in moments of deep and even debilitating depression at times. That wasn't what he wanted to do in the moment. It wasn't the desirable obedience. And Spurgeon wrote, Surely though we have had to mourn our disobedience with many tears and sighs. Listen. We now find joy in yielding ourselves as servants of the Lord. Our deepest desire is to do the Lord's will in all things. And then he says, oh, for obedience. Oh, that I would be obedient. Oh, no matter how undesirable it is, no matter how strange it is. Oh, God, that you would make me obedient, that I would choose obedience. And sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking obedience is like a buffet. I can pick and choose what I want to be obedient to. This, this looks good. Yeah, yeah, I'll obey this command. That one, that's too hard. I don't want to go there. I'll push that to the side. That seems strange. That can't be what God's calling me to do. I'm going to push that aside. Oh, that's, I don't want to go there. Forget that. And we feel like we can pick and choose. The reality is what we see happening throughout the pages of the book of Acts is the early church really has no option. Compelled by love for Jesus Christ, compelled by the urgency of the mission that Jesus Christ has given them, compelled by the mandate, they choose obedience. Philip chooses obedience. He chooses the desert road because God told him to. And so let's ask ourselves this question. What is our desert road? What is it? What is it for you? I can think of some for me. Believe me. I can think of many. Pastors struggle with this too. Oh, there's some places I don't want to go. There's some, some places I don't want to head to. I don't want to go that road. I'll stay here. I'll serve here. I'm serving you, God. Look, it's, it's nice over here. Let me stay here. But God's telling me, go down here. What's your desert road? What's your desert place? God uses people who choose obedience, even when it's strange, even when it's undesirable. We must choose obedience if we're going to see salvation. But secondly, you can write this down. We will see salvation. Not only must we choose obedience, we must seize the opportunities. Write that down. We must seize the opportunities. As Christians living in this part of the world, we have a very rare and unique and unusual opportunity for the gospel. We need to understand that. Christians living in the Western world, specifically here in Canada, we have a very unique opportunity for the gospel. In fact, the past 200 years or so in the grand scheme of history has been a very unusual and unique opportunity for the gospel in the Western world that much of this world has no idea about. 
We have a very unique opportunity. We don't know how long this window of freedom will last us. And that tells me, that tells us that each and every one of us in this room has been granted a unique, rare opportunity. No one's knocking on these doors trying to shut me up for preaching the word. Nobody's going to try to handcuff you and put you in prison for trying to share your faith. Although things are changing, we have a unique opportunity. And and far from being complacent, we need to wake up to the reality of the opportunity that God has been given to, God has given us. Why? Because scripture nowhere promises this opportunity we've been given. It's all grace. The only thing scripture tells us is that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The only thing the Bible shows us is all who want to follow Jesus Christ with all their hearts are going to be opposed. And so this tells us, that God is pouring out his grace on our land. God is pouring out his grace on us as individuals. Grace, grace, grace that we don't deserve. Grace that so many around the world don't experience. We have an opportunity, and we must seize the opportunity. And we see that happening in the text. But we need to understand that seizing the opportunity requires a proactive, attentive, and urgent mindset. Complacent people don't seize opportunities. Opportunities pass them by. Self-centered, self-focused people don't seize opportunities. They can't see the opportunities that are before them. They're too busy looking at themselves. This is a season. This is a time. Maybe this is a service that God is calling us to wake up out of our slumber and see the opportunities that are before us. People who seize the opportunities are the spiritually sensitive, are the spiritually mature, are the mission-minded, are those who are humble and contrite in heart, who are pursuing Jesus Christ with all their heart. Not perfectly, no, not perfectly, but with all their hearts. And if you have a heart to seize the opportunities that are before you, God will meet you here, and he'll strengthen you, and he'll give you what you need to seize the opportunities. We must seize the opportunities that are all around us. So we need to be paying attention. Write this down. We need to pay attention. Because God is preparing people. Notice verses 27 to 28. God is preparing people. 27 says this. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. This Ethiopian eunuch was a high-ranking official in his country. He was responsible for the treasure of the queen, Candace. Apparently, somehow, he came into contact with Judaism, and he was traveling to Jerusalem for worship. On his way back, he's sitting in his chariot, and he's reading, in fact, from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Notice verse 29 to 30. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And just like that, Philip's obedience leads him to the opportunity. Philip's obedience leads him to the opportunity that he must seize and not shrink back from. Philip's obedience leads him to the opportunity that in fact God himself is preparing This is not Philip planning a meeting with someone and getting himself all worked up, how I'm going to share my faith with this person. Philip knows nothing about this. All Philip knows is the Spirit says, go, and he says, I'm going to go. And what he finds is, in fact, the truth. God is preparing this Ethiopian eunuch. And God is preparing Ethiopian eunuchs for you. God is preparing Ethiopian eunuchs for me. He is preparing people for us 
to come in contact with because we need to understand this is not unfolding by accident. God is preparing the entire situation just like God prepares situations for us every day. But are we awake? Are we aware? Are we awakened to the reality of the people we rub shoulders with every day? There are opportunities. Is God preparing someone? Well, you say, it doesn't seem like it. Well, it doesn't matter what it seems like. Remember, remember, it doesn't matter what it seems like. Obedience is the issue. Obedience to the Great Commission. Obedience to faithfulness to God's word. And so God is preparing people, maybe at the gas station, at the grocery store, going for a walk in your neighborhood, your next door neighbor, a family member that you sit on the couch with to watch television. They don't know Jesus Christ. God is preparing people all around us. And and we would be very naive to think we're walking through the streets. There's thousands of people around us. God is not working. He's not. He's not doing anything. The people we're coming in contact with at our workplace and they don't know Jesus Christ. I mean, he's not doing anything. Is God not doing anything? No, he is working. He is always working. And he's working right now to wake us up to the reality that he wants to work. He wants to work through you and he wants to work through me. He loves you. He loves you and it doesn't matter how inadequate you feel or how insecure you feel. I feel that every single day. God is preparing people for you just like he prepared the Ethiopian eunuch. The question is, are we awake and are we ready to seize the opportunity. Secondly, we need to pay attention. Not only is God preparing people, but secondly, it says God is calling. God is calling you. God is calling you and he's calling me. Notice verses 29 to 31. It says this, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. God is calling Philip in this moment. God is leading Philip in this moment. God could have done anything to reach this Ethiopian eunuch, but God chooses to call Philip and take him down this desert road. I want you to see this on the screen. John MacArthur wrote this. God often accomplishes his sovereign work through human instruments. Like a master sculptor, he takes otherwise useless and inconsequential tools and uses them to create a masterpiece. That's what God does. Do you need to be the perfect servant of Jesus Christ to be used? Of course not. I'm telling you, loved ones, I feel so inadequate every single day. I feel so full of fear sometimes. Anxiety tries to overtake me sometimes when I'm presented with opportunities. But God is calling. God calls you. God calls me. And it's not about us. It's not about our strength. It is God who's preparing this situation. It is God who prepares the Ethiopian eunuch. It's God who calls you and me. And therefore, it is God who accomplishes the hard work of salvation. And he will do it if we understand that we need to be awakened to this reality that God is preparing people and God is calling you. And are you aware, are we aware that God is calling us? He is. And maybe there's a name popping in your mind right now. Maybe there's a name popping in your heart right now and you're thinking, I I had an opportunity and I, I passed it up. Listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Only grace and the grace of the Lord comes to us through his word today to say, God wants to wake us up. He wants to wake us up. Listen, I failed a million times. 
And God comes to me with his grace and teaching me and molding me and strengthening me and showing me how he would use me if I would be alert and pay attention and seize the opportunities. Don't look back, loved ones. Look forward. God will be preparing people for you even this week. God will be calling you to speak to people even this week. God wants you perhaps to bring people to this Christmas Eve service or to church next week or whatever it may be. We have a unique opportunity this season where this world says nothing about Jesus Christ. I think sometimes a whole generation will grow up not knowing that Christmas is about Jesus. Because you look on the billboards, there's no Jesus. You look in the stores, there's no Jesus. How are they going to see Jesus this season? How are they going to know the awesome glory of the gospel and the love of Jesus if we, if we don't understand that there are opportunities before us that we must seize and show people the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who came during this season. We will see salvation. We say that by faith. We will see salvation. We must choose obedience. We must seize the opportunities. And then finally, you write this down. We will see salvation. We must treasure and trust Jesus Christ. We must treasure and trust Jesus Christ because the life that chooses obedience and seizes opportunities is a life that loves Jesus Christ above all else such that the comforts and conveniences and self-centered pursuits of our lives are progressively being abandoned. Bit by bit, we're abandoning those self-centered pursuits to go after Jesus, to recognize him as the treasure that is of surpassing value. Notice verses 32 to 35. It says this. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I asked, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? I love this. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip treasures Jesus. Philip loves Jesus. What stops Philip from running from this opportunity? What stops Philip from being overwhelmed by fear? He really understands that Jesus is not this small, little, frail, poor little Jesus. I mean, we have to make him look good, otherwise people will reject us. He doesn't view it that way. He understands the good news of Jesus. He treasures Jesus Christ. He trusts Jesus Christ in this moment. And as we treasure Jesus Christ, we must trust the following. Write this down. We must trust, write this down, his sovereignty. God is in control. As we treasure <clears throat> Jesus Christ, we must trust his sovereignty. God is in control. It is completely irrefutable that God is orchestrating all of these events happening in Acts chapter eight. It is completely irrefutable that neither Philip or the eunuch really understand what's going on here. Philip is just obeying, the eunuch is just reading. Nobody knows what's happening. It's completely irrefutable that God is sovereign over this entire scenario. And this is really our story, isn't it? God called us. 
He summoned us. He is sovereign over salvation. He is the God who is in control. And some of us need to take heart today because we've been agonizing over unsaved loved ones. We've been wrestling and anxious over people. You've been sharing the gospel for two years. You've been sharing the gospel for five years. You've been praying for 10 years. You've been sharing and praying for 20 years. You've been sharing and praying for 30 years and nothing is happening and you're feeling discouraged. You need to take heart and be encouraged in this truth. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is mighty to save. He is strong to save. And in his time and in his way, we can believe with faith that he will save the people around us. Don't give up. Trust and treasure Jesus and treasure him such that you trust in his sovereignty. Lord, it doesn't make sense to me, but you must have it under control. You must have it all under control. He does, loved ones, he does. As we treasure Christ, we must trust his sovereignty. Secondly, we must trust his word. His word, the Bible, is powerful. We must trust his word. The Bible is powerful. Notice verses 32 to 33. It says this. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Notice the sovereignty of God even over the passage of Scripture that the eunuch is reading. You have to see this. The eunuch is reading Isaiah's prophecy of Jesus Christ. He's reading Isaiah 53. It's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. He knows nothing of Jesus Christ. He knows nothing of the salvation found in Jesus Christ. God is preparing the eunuch. He's calling Philip. He's sovereign over this whole thing, even down to the detail, even down to the very scripture that the eunuch is reading that will point him to Jesus Christ, that will lay it out on a platter for Philip. Look, look how easy, Philip. He's reading about Jesus. Look, look how easy it is right before you. It's how sovereign God is, how in control he is. He's in control of the whole thing, but we need to trust not only his sovereignty, but his word. His word is powerful. We need to be convinced of the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the word of God, is foundational and powerful. It needs to be the substance of our message because that is the message that will bring the special revelation needed to illuminate the heart of someone who can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's through his authoritative, inerrant, inspired word. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the word of God. You say to yourself, well, if I open the Bible and I share a verse with somebody, they're going to think I'm weird. They're going to think I'm strange. We need to understand that we, as we treasure Jesus, we can trust his word. Do you trust his word? It's so beautiful that Philip says, beginning with this scripture, he began to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Beginning with this scripture, the word of God is powerful and authoritative and we trust God's word and we feed on God's word and we rely on God's word to be the whole substance of our message. Don't try to make it more pretty. Don't try to make it more relevant. Don't try to make it more culturally appropriate. Don't try to change it. Don't cut out the things that are a little bit hard. Don't do that. Trust the word of God, and God will use his very word. And in that moment, he will be sovereign over the very word that's taught and shared. 
in such a way that he will bring salvation because it's his work to do. We must treasure Jesus Christ, trust his sovereignty, his word, and then finally we're going to end here. We must trust, trust his son, Jesus Christ, our only hope. We must trust his son, Jesus Christ, our only hope. Notice verses 34 to 35. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now our children may say to us, Mommy and Daddy, I I have good news. I found the toy that I lost last week. Our friends may approach us and say, Hey, hey, I have good news. They're opening your favorite restaurant down the street. Our superior at work may come to us and say, Hey, I have good news. You're getting a raise. None of that is good news. There is good news, though. The good news is the good news of Jesus Christ All of humanity is totally depraved. Here's the good news. Jesus came to rescue us. That's the incarnation. That's Christmas. Here's the good news. The wages of sin is death. Jesus took our place. That's substitution. That's what we remember on Good Friday. There is only one hope for a lost and dying world. It comes through Jesus' resurrection. That's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. This is the good news that we need to be opening our mouths and sharing with people, beginning with the scriptures and opening our mouths and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the only hope for this dark and dying world. You look on the news and you look on your social media feed and you see people dying everywhere. You see, this world is disintegrating and evil is prevalent everywhere. Jesus Christ is the only hope. And and God is looking for people of faith. God is looking for people who have faith today that we can look for our Ethiopian eunuchs. We can look for them. God is preparing them and we'll respond to the call of God and we will open our mouths beginning with the scriptures and we will tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. It is good news, loved ones. It is. It's the good news that changed our lives and it's the good news we believe will change the lives of, dare I say, hundreds and thousands of people even beginning in this Christmas season. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, church? I believe that. 